As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. You know, we see this over and over again. It's the most, it's the best companies who succeed, not the first to market. So people think you got to be first to market. Mm. You see, we, I see over and over again that that's not necessarily the case. A, a perfect example of that in terms of industries is, is the um, the email software business. You know, that started mm-hmm. out, there were literally hundreds of companies pouring in to become to get into the email software business and of course only now you only really know about five or ten there's eye contact there's MailChimp there's constant contact and a few others but when that industry first got started there were literally hundreds if not thousands of companies kind of getting into that and whoever could execute the best whoever the 
people, you know, did things quote unquote right, those were the survivors. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How do you build a surviving company? How do you win at this SaaS game? All coming right up. Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales, and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Mike Dalcito. And I'm Joelle Goldman. So welcome to the fourth episode of our SaaS series. We are going to be diving into the important factors to growing your SaaS company. The main thing we're going to focus on really is going to be the people and the culture. So if you haven't heard the rest of the SaaS series, go back, listen to episode one. We dive into the history of SaaS. We've also covered pricing and the essential metrics you need to know. So go back, check those out, or just keep listening. When we talked to Bobby Martin, he laid out the four stages that he sees of SaaS growth. Uh, The first stage is tinkering, which is before you quit your day job, you are messing around with your idea. Through my research and studies, I found that on average, people spend nine months tinkering. The next stage is the, are the blade years, which is when the most important work is done. The blade years is when revenue is low and growth is also low. So they're just trying to figure things out. And then if the founders are really persistent and clever and smart, they hit the growth inflection point, which is when they begin to land enough customers and really happy customers such that revenue begins to come in much quicker. And that leads to the fourth stage, which is surging growth. And that's when things are really taking off and the founders experience hockey stick growth. And to hit this stage, there are many factors along the way. Obviously, product market fit. Do customers want to buy what you're selling? And after that, we have people and culture. Here's Greg Preci from events.com from an interview we did last year. I think that the key to, to great companies uh, is the, the, the ability to have great leaders and leaders, I think the best leaders that I've ever studied, focus primarily on their people and the culture. So meaning that even though the business is obviously a, a huge driver towards the success of where you're going and you have to provide solutions that are valuable to the end users, the way that you get there and the way that you get your results is absolutely through the people that you bring on. And how do you bring on great people, right? One of the biggest things that tech companies struggle with, and really companies in general, is diversity. How do you bring together people of diverse backgrounds, of diverse cultures, of diverse perspectives and opinions, so that their insights can play a role in shaping your product? You can't reach a wide market without the perspective of many people. And so we talked with Joelle Emerson, who works with teams to improve their recruiting process, on how she advises teams to get over this bias that often happens in the early stage hiring process, and honestly throughout a company's history of hiring. And we look for whether there are any points at which there might be barriers that we can address. So uh, we like to look at whether uh, pass-through rates are different for men and women at different stages of the interview process. And every time we've done that, we found that there are usually one or two particular places in an interview process where something is going on that is leading women not to pass through that interview at the same rate as men or to get you know a no versus a yes, however the company might do it. Um, and then we, we try to figure out why that is, and then we try to deploy an intervention to change that. So whether that is restructuring the interview questions in that particular part of the interview, training the interviewer on evaluating people more fairly or with less bias. You know, we use different types of strategies, but our strategies are really aimed at um, 
narrowing in on a particular problem we identify. So that's on the recruiting side. So what kind of trends are you seeing based on uh, even like the quantitative data that you've gathered so far? Um, Are you seeing kind of the same things popping up across all these companies or is it pretty unique to each one? Some things are pretty similar across companies and some things are actually surprisingly unique. I, I anticipated going into this that we would see the exact same problems at every company and that we would be able to build out like kind of a toolkit that any company could deploy. Um, and that just hasn't been the case. So there are some things that are really similar, a couple of those things. One is, you know, I think whiteboarding interviews. It's something that a lot of tech companies do that all the data that we've seen, both from our research and external research, has told us that those are really, really bad types of interviews for evaluating candidates overall. Um, and they're particularly bad for evaluating diverse candidates. So some theories on why that might be, I mean, you know, why I think they're bad for evaluating candidates overall is that they don't look very much like the work that an engineer does when they actually join the company. So the best type of interview process is one that tests you on the types of skills that you're actually going to need in the job. Whiteboarding, you know, coding, standing up on a whiteboard it is not what most engineers do in their job. So it's, it's not always capturing the most relevant types of signals. It's also a type of interview that invokes kind of a lot of anxiety for some people. Um, you're, you're standing up in front of someone else. You're kind of on the spot. Um, and we think that that might be exacerbating some anxieties that people from underrepresented backgrounds already have going into interviews in fields where they're underrepresented. And looking at the data bears that out. So we've seen data that suggests that people who perform, women who perform at the same rate as men or the same level as men on computer coding interviews perform at vastly different rates on whiteboarding interviews with men far outperforming women. And these are the same people that performed the exact same on coding interviews on their computer. So this is something that kind of across the valley I would like to see change. I would love to see companies just stop using whiteboarding interviews as a practice altogether. And after hiring, it's incredibly important to properly onboard new employees. I've seen it so many times where employees enter a company, but don't really have a good sense of what they're supposed to do. What are their expectations? Who do I reach out to in the company? How do I get to know people in a company, especially in a remote environment? So we talked with Marty Wolf from MailChimp last year about how MailChimp onboards new employees to make them feel comfortable and part of the family. We've set up a whole program so that before they even get here, we're sending them information about here's what your first day is going to be like, here's what to expect. And then they arrive and they get, you know, the first couple days of departmental overviews of making sure that they're connecting with other teams and doing fun stuff like like they're assigned a companion, um, which is basically a cultural coach or mentor. And it's somebody that's outside of your team to make sure that you're engaged and meeting new people and know, you know, have someone to ask those questions that you don't want to ask, maybe your manager. And in that same conversation with Joelle Emerson last year, we also talked about what companies can do internally to improve their internal process to help retain good employees and give them the proper feedback for success. 
then if you look at what's going on internally in companies, um, you know, one thing that we're working with some clients on is how do you build a better performance review process that ensures that managers are writing unbiased reviews that are really going to give everyone kind of the best, the best feedback that they can get and also propel their career um, in sort of an equal way across the team. So, you know, there are lots of types of bias that can come into play in performance reviews and not just bias about people, not just stuff like gender or race, but stuff like recency bias. So um, how do managers make sure that they're not overweighting, you know, someone who's done a huge project in the month before the performance review versus someone who did a ton of work six months ago that the manager just might not be remembering about. So kind of building out processes that make sure that all of these uh, areas where we make decisions about people are as unbiased as possible. So in order to inspire people to do great things and enable them to do great things, one of the most important things that leadership has to do is inspire the company. They have to believe in the vision and why they're there and, and the mission that we all, we all uh, hold so dear to our hearts here. We're going to dive into more about the vision right after this word from our sponsor. That we're very like vision focused as opposed to like customer request focused. Like we're very much that on like kind of more that, you know, like some people build what they want to build and some people build what their customers want them to build. And we build what what we want to build. And we we don't have like we're not feature driven. Like we almost never add new features. We just improve what we have. So that was Laura Roder from Edgar uh, from an interview that we did just a couple weeks ago. The vision is probably the hardest part to get right. And honestly, it is the job of the leadership to be able to communicate the vision to the rest of the team. So many times we see companies so focused on tasks, but we're not focused on the bigger vision. We don't have that guiding light because it hasn't been given to us. It needs to be handed down from the CEO to the leadership, to every employee, so that people know what we're working for, what is the vision, what are the rules, what is governing my decisions when I'm making decisions on behalf of this company. And so very early on, Laura had a vision for Edgar and they make that the guiding light for all of their decisions that they make in the product, even more so than their customer feedback. They are a tool that drives more traffic through reusing your old content. That is what Edgar does. And that is what Edgar has always done and, and will continue to do. So they have to make hard decisions like not supporting Instagram despite many, many, many of their customers wanting it. And despite them potentially losing customers for not supporting it, Instagram does not fit within the Edgar vision. And so they don't build for it. And because Laura has laid out the vision for her team and she constantly reiterates it, her team can be the ones that also uphold the vision. It doesn't always have to be Laura making every decision. She has now empowered her team to make decisions that are in line with the company vision. One that we get asked for the most is Instagram. So Instagram, obviously, really, really popular network. It's growing all the time. What a lot of people don't realize about Instagram is you can't automate posting there. So the tools that do post to Instagram, you actually have to go into your phone, like not even your software, but your phone, and hit a button 
um, when you want the post to go live, the tools kind of help, you know, queue it up and remind you. So, so they're helpful, but they're not automating posting to Instagram. There are a few that do, but they like break the terms and they usually get shut down pretty quickly. So I'm kind of not going to consider those. So it just is fundamentally different for a lot of reasons for the value we offer at Edgar. But a lot of people, when they're initially shopping for a social media tool, they kind of have the checklist. They're like, well, I'm using Instagram. So the tool needs to do Instagram. And so, so they're missing our tool. But my hope is long term, a lot of people will choose a tool that does Instagram, but then they won't have a good experience on that tool. I mean, not that I hope that they have a bad experience, but I'm saying my hope is that they'll see that they'll have that experience be like, oh, maybe actually Instagram, I'm just going to do natively, or I can just have sort of a more realistic expectation of what a tool does with Instagram. Maybe actually it does make sense for me to revisit Edgar um, for my other social needs. And we do see that happening, but it's, it's hard when so many customers are like, why don't you just add an Instagram? It, it can be hard to say no. So while they may have to say no to some customers, the customers that they do have, they know they're there because of their vision. She's empowered her team to make decisions that are important to what they're doing as long as it's in line with the company vision. And they have just hit 3 million ARR as a bootstrapped company. That means no investors. So there's something that's working there, right? This isn't just fluff. She's built a company that is stable and growing. Our customers want to know who is Apple and what is it that we stand for? Where do we fit in this world? And what we're about isn't making boxes for people to get their jobs done, although we do that well. We do that better than almost anybody in some cases. But Apple's about something more than that. Apple, at the core, its core value is that we believe that people with passion can change the world for the better. That's what we believe. And we've had the opportunity to work with people like that. We've had an opportunity to work with people like you, with software developers, with customers who have done it in some big and some small ways. And we believe that in this world, people can change it for the better. And that those people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones that actually do. fourth episode of our SaaS series. There is one more episode left coming out next Wednesday will be the fifth and final episode of this SaaS series. I really hope you have enjoyed it so far. Huge thanks to our sponsor, Chargebee. Chargebee is the easiest way to set up your subscription billing. Set up your subscription billing the way that Soylent sets up their subscription billing. It's easy. It'll grow with you. You never have to worry about building this all yourself. Just Integrate with Chargebee and forget about it. Move on to building your business. Go to chargebee.com forward slash rocket ship and get started today for free. So coming up, we have another great SaaS interview on Sunday. So subscribe so you don't miss that. Please leave us a review if you get a chance to wherever you listen to your podcast. It helps get this show further and to reach more people that need to hear about how to grow 
their own business. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we're RocketshipFM. I am Michael Saka. You can follow Mike Belsito at Belsito and Joel at Joel Goldman. All right, we'll see you back here very, very soon.